Good morning, Grace. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then partway through the message, we're going to go over to 1 Corinthians 14. Just a couple things to, to begin with. Uh, first of all, I, on behalf of the Burkholz family, want to thank you so much for those of you that have prayed for, uh, for Brooks, Little Brooks, Kevin, Wendy. Um, uh, Brooks went to see Jesus on Friday. And so continue to, to remember Kevin and Wendy and your prayers, their family. We've been praying for them for some time, but what I know is that what God has done through that little guy's life is not done. Uh, there's, he's still gonna bring good out of what has been a very painful season. So I just wanna say thank you for all that you've done. And you know, for those of you that, uh, you know, maybe are new to Grace Bible Church, what, what you've gotta know is that um, we're a unique church and I'm gonna prove it here in just a minute. Um, September 10th, just to double down on what Tiffany was saying, next Sunday at five in the afternoon, we're gonna have our Next Steps class. And it's good to just figure out who we are, what we do, and what we're about. Now, we're gonna talk a little bit about that today uh, as we dive into 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 because that's actually what Paul is hitting here. But I actually wanna talk about this, this diversity that, that we have even here at Grace. And so I like to do this every once in a while. So I'm gonna ask a question and I need, I need you to join in to help me out to answer the question that applies to you. If you are here today and uh, you maybe at some point in your life, uh, maybe you were raised or at some point in your life, you've attended a Baptist church, let me see your hands. All right, all right. Now, I, I'm not asking which out of the 320 brands of Baptist you're part of, but you know, you're, you're there, which is great. How many of you uh, would say I, uh, maybe you attended at some point a Nazarene church? Any, any Nazarene? Okay, got some na Nazarenes here. Uh, any of you... Uh, maybe come from a non-denominational church background, okay? Uh, any Calvary Chapel people here today? Any Cal Oh yeah, see the Calvary, Calvary Chapel, that's good. Uh, any, any Presbyterians? All right, good, there was absolutely no noise there, that's good, I like it that way, that's, that's good. <laughs> any, any Lutherans, any Lutherans here? All right, Lutheran, all right, Catholic background? All right, L LDS background? All right, any uh, assembly of God or, uh, okay. What about any Pentecostals here? Any Pentecostals in the house? There's no noise, come on. You guys aren't Pentecostal, are you talking right now? What are you guys doing here? I need some charismatics here, you know what I'm saying? Um, let me see, who, what am I missing? Um, oh yeah, any Methodists, any Methodists here? Any, oh yes, I said Methodists, you're here. You know, I, I used to travel with a music group and uh, it's funny because like all churches do different things different ways. Like, you know, like they baptize differently. Um, you know, they, their services are run differently. They take communion <laughs> differently. And so we were at this fairly large Methodist church and and so they had asked that we sing some hymns, this music group I was in. And so we'd been singing some hymns. And they said, now at the end of the service, while you're singing a hymn, we're gonna come forward and, and take communion. And at the end, we'd like for you to take communion with us. And we're like, okay, that's fine. So we're watching as literally 500 people stream down. What they did in the Methodist church, I don't know if you guys have taken communion this way. They'd have a person there that had a, a platter and there's a massive loaf of bread. Another person is holding a, a chalice of, I mean, they're Methodist, it's probably wine. And so uh, they, they, they pinch off, they pinch off the bread dip it in the, in, in the, you know, the wine, and then the, you would take it right there. Anybody ever take communion that way? 
okay, yeah, yeah. So like, this is not unfamiliar. Well, I, I wasn't, we took communion a different way. Like apparently we got the plastic thing with the, the wafer that tastes like nothing and makes all the crinkling noises when you open it. That's how we did it in my church growing up. But, but we're, we're standing there singing the song and we're watching 500 people come forward and take communion. And so at the end of the song, we go down and, and we're taking, you know, I, I think I was first just pinching off, dip, take the first three did that. Apparently the fourth guy who shall go unnamed um, wasn't paying attention because he actually came forward and he just looked with a puzzled expression. Apparently he'd never taken it at a Methodist church. He just looks, takes a pinch of bread, pops in his mouth and then reaches for the chalice. <laughs> and so as he goes to take it, she doesn't let go. He pulls, she pulls. It turns into this back and forth until he rests it away in front of the entire congregation, takes a big old drink, <laughs> communion, hands it back. And in this sacred, tender moment, the entire church erupted into laughter. We were supposed to sing another song, but uh, myself and Doran headed for the back and, and we're like, what did you do? And I'm like, didn't you see everybody take communion? And he's like, no. He's like, you're not supposed to drink from the chalice. And so, you know, we had this great thing and, 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 and it was crazy. You know, we had this moment, two years later, he did the same thing again. <laughs> the next year we came back for the very first time in the history of that church, they did not have communion that Sunday. Like, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. But the whole point was this, like, like we all do things a different way. And it's, it's just like, sometimes we make our traditions and our methods uh, <laughs> biblical when they're not always biblical. And there are times that, that we actually make more about the label that's on the church sign than we do of this fact. And what I love, guys, is that we have this diverse group of people and we have united under the name of Jesus Christ. And it's Christ that matters. He's the one that's changed us. And that's what matters in the end, at the end of the day. Now, I'm gonna tell you right now, when you show up next week and we talk about who, we're, who we are, what we're about, how we do things, there might be some things that you're like, I totally disagree with it. That's wrong. And you might be right. I think we might get to heaven someday and we're gonna be surprised at how much we screwed up. But the reality is this, just all, every church just looks a little bit different. And so it's interesting because the apostle Paul, he's writing to a church that is very diverse as well. They come from a lot of different backgrounds, have a lot of different uh, practices and, and they've all come together. Many of them have been recently saved and they're trying to figure out how to, to do this thing together, but I don't want you to miss something. In spite of all the crazy things that we've seen that mark this church, Paul addresses them as brothers. They're believers. And here's the thing, church. When we have been saved, and we're saved not through good works, we're saved when we put our trust in Christ's work. That what Christ did on the cross is enough. He saves us. There's, there's this moment of faith when, when we understand that we're a sinner, but we believe that only he can save us. We turn from our sins. We're, we're saved from our sins, saved to eternal life. But there's this unique thing. We're given the Holy Spirit who comes in and he doesn't just begin to change us from the inside. He begins to work on the outside. And, and if you read through Galatians chapter five, you, we, we did a whole series through this last, last year where we talked about there's a fruit of the spirit that is developed within us. This isn't something that is, that is produced on the outside. It's, it's produced as God does something on the inside. Now, a lot of times we think that the way to build the church is to have a really good marketing team 
or to get a really talented worship team or to, to really invest a lot of money in a kid's program or whatever. While it's true that you can attract crowds by doing certain things like that, when it comes to building the church, here's what we have to understand. It's the Holy Spirit who builds the church. Our responsibility as God's people is to be the church, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, but also to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. And so what we're gonna talk about today, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's, it's a little somewhat controversial. And what I love about this though, when we're preaching through a book of the Bible, it makes you go places you wouldn't necessarily go if you're preaching a topical series. And so this is gonna be a different type of message. If you're new to grace, just, just hold on, just hold on. We're getting to 1 Corinthians 15 next week and then we're jumping into Revelation. And so we're gonna have some fun with that. But, but here's the thing, he, the Apostle Paul is writing to this very diverse group of people and he wants them to understand what the Spirit is doing, what he's up to. And here's what we read in, in chapter 12, verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now real quick, what we're gonna do this morning, I, I want us to look at what spiritual gifts are and and what their purpose is, how they're to be exercised. And we're gonna, we're, we're gonna take this from scripture, okay? So the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes, if you've got a message guide, and if you're like, where are those message guides at? Right outside the doors, uh, there's a little black table. You can pick up a message guide on your way in, or if you download the church app uh, on, on Church Center, you can do it there. But the first, the first thing I want you to write down is this, spiritual gifts are gifts of grace. Spiritual gifts are gifts of grace. In fact, the Greek word that is used in verse four is a word that's familiar to us. Most Greek is all Greek to us. This one isn't. The word for, for gifts, for spiritual gifts is charisma. Charisma. Now, when it's used, uh, you'll find this word used throughout the New Testament when, it's, when, it's ref when we're reading about the gifts of the Spirit, it literally means gifts of of grace. It's not talking about somebody's personality. No, anytime it's used, it's speaking of this instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise a gift for the glory of God and for the good of, of other believers. Let me say that again. Anytime we're talking about spiritual gifts and we, we see this, this phrase used in the New Testament, it's talking about the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise this gift, the spiritual gift for the glory of God and the good of someone else. The second thing that just from those first few verses we read that we, we can know based on this description is that spiritual gifts are just that, they're a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Us, us just doing good things or having more disciplines or whatever, that's not necessarily evidence that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives because can I tell you that there are a lot of unbelievers that are more disciplined than some believers. And so it can't be discipline alone, that there should be 
There will be spiritual disciplines in the life of a believer, but that alone is not it. It's when the Holy Spirit is not just working in us, but, but working through us. It's, it's, man, what I love is that the Holy Spirit shows up, not just, just because we have this ecstatic feeling, the Holy Spirit manifests himself usually through the people of God. And so it's, so it's this manifestation. But the third thing that I would say comes as we look at, as we look at the, the uh, you know, the verse to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good. It's interesting in verse 11 that, that Paul writes, making sure that we understand this, that all of these gifts, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who, catch this, he apportions to each one individually as he wills. What that means is that spiritual gifts are just like, I, get a, I choose what spiritual gift I want. You know, I think I'd like, uh, I like that guy's spiritual gift. Where'd you get that at? Like literally it comes from the spirit, but he determines who gets what. And I will tell you this, there are times that he will gift you for a moment or he'll gift you for a season, but it's not necessarily he's the, that it's just a gift you're given for all time. No, it's, it's, it's again, so that God may be glorified, so that the church may built up. It's the Holy Spirit who builds his church. We, we are the church allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. He gives us gifts so that we can be a blessing. And we're gonna see this in chapter 14 to encourage, to challenge, to, to convince, to build up, to inspire. This is all part of his plan. And what I love is he says, he says these spiritual gifts are given to each one. He, he didn't just say, for that really mature person who talks really slow and has a very deep melodious voice, I'm gifting him. No, no, he, he actually gives spiritual gifts to some knuckleheads. He does. In fact, the problem here, the problems that we see in the church of Corinth is not that they weren't given spiritual gifts, it's that they were knuckleheads. Like there are times we're given the gift and we just, we, we don't know, we're so young, we don't understand what this looks like. And so this is why he's letting us know what this looks like to exercise these gifts. But it's interesting, though I'm not gonna read through verses eight, nine, and 10 in, in, in chapter 12, but if you'll read through those gifts and you'll look at the gifts, it's interesting. All of those gifts end up in, in one of two categories, either speaking or serving. You see, the way, way the, the Holy Spirit is going to build his church is, is, is either through the proclamation of the gospel or through the demonstration of the gospel. We're either, going to, we're, we're either going to share his word through speaking or we're going to show, we're, we're, we're gonna show this by, by our living, by our acting. This giftedness is, is one of two things. It's either speaking or showing. And this is where we jump into chapter 14 because what he's gonna, what he's gonna give us direction on is what this looks like within a local body. Now, as we jump in today, I wanna be really clear again. There are unique ways that, that we do things here at Grace. Again, the, our, our methods, our methods are not set in stone. 
right? Like methods come and methods go. It's the, it's the mission that matters. Our mission is to unite people with Jesus, help them take their next steps. We just wanna live out the great commission. We wanna live out the great commandment. And we pray that the Holy Spirit allows us to do this and be part of this. And so when, when I'm gonna talk about how we do things, like, again, I'm just giving you guys information of what this looks like, but I, I, I wanna come back to why we do this. And, and it's gonna come from what we're gonna read here in 1 Corinthians 14. He says this, beginning in verse one, he's coming out of chapter 13, the love chapter, and he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And some of you are like, yeah, I'm gonna tell you what, we need to get rid of that tongues thing. Hold on a second, verse five. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Well, he just shot that in the face. You can't just say that unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And what we're gonna see is he's gonna take the, these two spiritual gifts of, of tongues and prophecy because apparently they're causing division in the church in Corinth. And by the way, they're still causing division within the church today. And he's gonna say, okay, what's this look like to exercise these gifts? Because he's actually saying these gifts should be, these gifts are granted. They're gifts that are given, they should be exercised. But, but how are we to do this? What's this look like? And so there are two errors that, that a lot of times we can slip into. First of all, the first error is this, we embrace more than what the Bible teaches about some of these gifts, okay? That, that can be an error. There's also the error of actually excluding or not embracing what God says about something because it doesn't fit within our comfort zone or our theological system or our background. Now, I wanna want make a, a point that, that you just need to know here, Grace. We believe in the sufficiency of scripture, which means that we believe that God says what he intended to say. <laughs> I don't think God's up in heaven is like, oh man, I wish I would have put in, oh, oh man, you know what? I'm gonna work on a second edition where we can get back together and let's show them how to get this thing done. I, I don't think that's what, I don't know what God's up to. We, we, believe, we, we believe in the sufficiency of scripture, God's word is God's word. Which means that when he gives us what he gives us about this, he doesn't, he doesn't give us all the answers to every fine point that we wanna have the answer to, which is why we argue. And, and here's the crazy thing. We gotta stop arguing about things where, where, where scripture leaves a little openness there. We need to stick true to what is clear and offer grace to what isn't clear. I think that's very, very important. That's one thing that's, that's, that's something that, that we talk about here often at Grace, okay? And so, so when, we, when we look at this, there's, there, there is lacking here some hard and fast clarity when it comes to this. And I think God did that on purpose. He wants us to be open to anything he wants us to do without us putting him in a box. But at the same time, he does want us to have some some parameters, if you will, for how these spiritual gifts are to be exercised, specifically these two things like tongues or prophecy. Because within the church, there's, there's a lot of different positions. There's the one extreme position that is called cessationist, where they believe that all the spiritual gifts, uh, and I'm, 
listen, there's varying levels of cessationists, but the extreme position says that all the spiritual gifts, that, that, that stopped with the apostles. Uh, he, he, the Holy Spirit is not giving the same gifts that we see here in 1 Corinthians. Until you can find me a scripture that, that, that says that he stopped uh, working in the church, uh, I, I can't hold to that position. That says more than what scripture says. On the other end, there's this, there's this position that says, you know, man, you know, the Holy Spirit's gonna do what he does and, and, and the only way that you can know that you're a Christian is if you speak in tongues. I don't believe that either. That, you know, now, there's a lot of different ways that this gift shows up and, and we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk more about that here in just a second. But, but there's all these different varying positions and different levels. We're, we're, like if you're wondering if we're the church for you, we're just a church somewhere in the middle. We're charismatics with a seatbelt. I'm not, I'm not put it. Like, I mean, I will tell you right now, there's never a day my wife, Lori, is gonna be standing up here beside me with so much makeup, it looks like she lost a paintball war and, you know, hair the size of, t- like, that's not gonna happen. Like, we, we see all these caricatures on TV or whatever. Um, I doubt anybody's gonna pull a hamstring in any of our services. But, but, but and I'm not, like, trying to be, like, just loose and whatever. I'm just saying that's, there are different extremes of this. That's just not how we're going to do things. I, 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 I wanna see the Holy Spirit move. I wanna see freedom. But, but at the same time, what we're gonna see is that there are some parameters. Now, full disclosure, you gotta know, I came from a background, I, like I remember as a kid, in a ch- I was in a church service and the dude started from the back, coming to the front and then back from the front and went to the back, running on the backs of church pews. And I'm like, <laughs> then I looked at mom, I'm like, can I do that? She goes, no, you cannot. I'm like, well, what if I had the Holy Spirit? I mean, uh, uh, you know, she's like, no, you're getting spanking. And so like, that, that's, like, that's my, my background. And, and so I have great appreciation for my background. And while I, I have experienced in, in many cases an incredible moves of the Holy Spirit, and I'm so thankful for those moments, they, they, were, they were very defining for me. At the same time, I've witnessed uh, terrible spiritual abuse and things done in the name of God that have absolutely nothing to do with God and have everything to do with emotionalism and people stupidly getting caught up in an experience rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to move through them. And so I say all of this, just letting you know where we are. And, and, and so when we, when we look at this, I think it's good for us to understand that, again, these gifts are given not to bring glory to an individual, for us to say, did you see that? Did you see them do that? It's to build up the church. These gifts, he's specific, are given to build up. Now, when he's talking about tongues, I'm just gonna give you the Wagner definition of this. Tongues, as we look at Acts and throughout the, the letters, it's a form of prayer and praise that, that you express to God in a language that you don't understand. You can see Acts chapter two. It's interesting, in Acts chapter two, they were, they were saying things that they did not understand, but the hearer understood it. That was interesting. Now, there are other places, if you go to Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the Gentile believers, uh, you know, it was a crazy thing that the good Jews would go to the home of a Gentile, but yet God had made it clear, man, don't call, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And so, so Peter shows up and, and not only have they, they believed, they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues and it was, it was very clear to these Jewish brothers and sisters who had experienced this as well, that they are part of the family, we're in this together. 
And so, so again, it's, it's, it's just, just want to make sure that we understand what tongues are, a form of prayer and praise you express to God in a language that you don't understand. In Romans chapter eight, it says that, he, that there are times that we're praying, that, that as we have groanings, we don't even know what's going on in the spirit is actually praying for us. And this is what we're talking about here. Now, when it comes to prophecy, prophecy manifests itself in, in, in some different ways. It's not like the Old Testament prophets, you know, like this is an infallible word of God. This is a word of God that, you know, kind of like a Joseph Smith moment, that this supersedes uh, scripture or, or replaces scripture that does not, that does not happen. But, but when it comes to, when it comes, and by the way, there's a whole nother thing we can do on how the canon was established and, and why we have the scripture that we did and why we say this is infallible and why this is not. There can be some disagreement on that. I, I get that, but, but we, that's a different message for a different time. But when it comes to prophecy in the New Testament and even today, I think there are three primary ways in which this is, this is manifested. Number one, through preaching. There are times that, that there are people who will uh, preach the word of God. And I, I'll be honest with you, not every time I get up to preach am I given the gift of prophecy. There are times I've preached messages, I got home like, God, what just happened with that? And so like, I, I just wanna be clear that just because a person has a title of pastor and their mouth is moving is not necessarily that the Holy Spirit has anointed them in that moment. I, wanna, I think it's good that we acknowledge this. But there are times where the Holy Spirit will, will, will speak through as his word is being proclaimed, he'll speak through human lips and he will take the word and bring understanding and clarity to a listener that, that it literally the only way that happens is through the anointing. And there are times where I have said things I didn't even mean to say. I didn't even know I said it. Somebody just recently came to me and said, man, I so appreciated what you said a few weeks, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. You said this and here's how God used this. And I had no idea what they were talking about. Never remember saying it. But there are times that, that God will do this. But there's also, uh, when it comes to prophecy and us recognizing this gift, there's the, there's the word of wisdom where the spirit enables a believer with, with insight, but he doesn't necessarily give them chapter and verse. This is, this is something that will be seen within the church. This happens. There's also the word of knowledge where the spirit will actually give an intuition or an understanding about a situation that they would not have without the Holy Spirit. And, and so what happens is we speak when the Holy Spirit prompts us to, but, but, but it's very important that we understand that the last two that I mentioned, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, they do not have the weight of scripture. I wanna be very clear that we understand this. Does, thus says the Lord, we have the word, and, and then thus says, thus says, man, there, there are times that we can be mistaken, we are fallible, Amen. And so let me just give you some parameters. So if you're here at Grace, you need to know how we interpret this, how we exercise this. When it comes to giving a word of prophecy, never, ever, ever claim the authority of God when you speak. That's a very dangerous thing for you to say, God has told me, and I'm speaking for God, because it's interesting, even in, even in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, the New Testament, when there's this account in Acts where Agabus, 
a prophet comes to Paul and he binds his hands as an illustration. And he said, as you go to Jerusalem, you're gonna be, the Jews are gonna bind you and they're gonna deliver you over to authorities and all these things are gonna happen. Most of what he said was true, but not all, everything, all the details, he got some of the details mixed up. It was actually the Romans that bound him. There were some other things that happened there. And so, so again, many times God will use us, but we cannot play this game of, I am the voice of God to you. Thus says, no, it's scripture, okay? Number two, I would say this, a word of prophecy is always best when tied to scripture. That's a, that's a powerful, powerful thing. If, if when you speak a word from the Lord, I can't be sure it's from God. When you say, you know, there, there's scripture, at least part of that's true is scripture. And then the last thing I would say is this, um, the gift of prophecy is given specifically for some reasons. And we see it right here in verse three for a building, encouragement, consolation. I can't remember who it was, but there was a guy that, that he said he had a word to give. And he said, unless you give $20 million, God is gonna kill me. It wasn't what prophecy was intended for, I'm sorry. My email address is pastortony at idahograce.com. <laughs> Tony, I hope you get blown up. It's good. Um, now, when it comes to receiving a word of prophecy, uh, there's a lot of people that you're just like, ah, no, nah, none of that. Don't accept any of that. <laughs> if you want to be scriptural, you got to be biblical. You got to acknowledge what Paul said and wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, he said, do not despise prophesying. Don't despise it but test everything and then hold fast to what is good. What he says is, is you test these, these words that are offered. And, and if it's not good, you drop it. You, don't have, you, you literally do not owe it to a person to just because they said something to you, say, well, they're gonna feel bad if I don't act on this. No, if it's not from God, you ignore it. If it's from God, you take the scripture, you take it to the Lord in prayer, you hold fast to that. And so that's why we ask some questions. First of all, ask, does this, you know, does this contradict what God has clearly said somewhere else in scripture? You know, I believe that you, should, you just need to divorce your wife. Mm, take scripture. Well, what's, what's God saying here? Does, does it accord with what God is clearly doing in your life? with the light that God has already given you. When I was, a I was like 15, the girl uh, told me, she's like, man, I just had the strangest thing happen. God told me that we're gonna get married. Wow. I said, well, I'll tell you what. When he lets me know, we'll talk. But until then, I'm not talking to you ever again. Like I'm, we're done. <laughs> and we did not get married. And so God was not, uh, she was a false prophet. Anyway, uh, <laughs> ask. You know, does this, does this glorify God or is, or is it glorifying the prophet? I think there are a lot of times, a lot of people love to, to play the God card and I've got a word from you. They love that feeling of spiritual superiority. And there, there, there are a lot of people who are going around doing a lot of damage because they're saying that they're speaking for God and it has nothing to do with God. And I'm gonna tell you, there's coming a day of judgment when we are going to give an account for every careless word that we've attributed to God that is not from God. That, that's actually one of the, the definitions of what it means to blaspheme the name of God is when you put words in his mouth that he did not say. 
And that's why we, we need to make sure that we understand this. And, and so th- this is what I'm talking about here. L- l- let me just say this though. What we need here at Grace is the exercising of these gifts. Instead of, instead of just praying to God, I wanna pray with God. Instead of just, just preaching, you know, uh, preaching and, and just, you know, spending time and, and sermon prep and, and all of that, I, I don't wanna just preach about God, I wanna preach with God. I want, us, I want us to pray in the spirit, to live in the spirit. Do you believe that God is active and still moving through his church? I do, I do. And what I, what I think is that many times we've actually quenched the spirit because we're a bunch of spiritual wusses. We're more afraid of what people are going to think of us than doing what God has called us to do. And I will tell you, Again, it's the Holy Spirit who builds the church and he is going to even use, let me use my old phrase, I'll bring it back, knuckleheads to do his work. But I would say this, it's not just the spiritual gifts are given for the common good. These spiritual gifts, again, it's very clear because he uses this word time and time again. They are intended to build up the church. And I don't have time to go through all all of the rest of the verses here in 14, but but I'll just hit a little bit of this. He said, I want you to, you know, speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. He's all for greater intimacy with the spirit, more interaction with the spirit. But the point of the gift is not just having a a personal ecstatic experience. So that is a beautiful thing. It's for building up the church is the whole point of of, of, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14. He said, he said, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how how will I benefit you? Verse six, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. He's making an important point. How can you build up if, if, we don't understand what you're saying. And he uses, he gives three analogies here that I think are good. First of all, he said, even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give, if they don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Little known fact, I was a music ed major at one point in my life. And I know that meant for music to be music, you have to have melody, harmony, rhythm. Those are parts of this. Just randomly hitting notes on a piano, like uh, some of your kids taking piano lessons are trying to do. That is not necessarily music, but there's a time when it comes together that's a beautiful thing and it, it's moving and it speaks, but just notes randomly not connected. They, they, they have nothing to do. He's, he's like, okay, so if lifeless instruments don't give it a single note, how are you gonna know what's played? Verse eight, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who's gonna get ready for battle? You know, they just, even up until recently, bugles are, were used to, to give signals. Pastor Matt and I were talking about this earlier this week, and he'd read a story, and I can't remember the exact account, where there was a battle in the Civil War being fought, and the order was given to the bugler to sound retreat, and he played charge instead by accident. It didn't go well. And so uh, if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, I mean, we've got issues. He says, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner uh, to me. Now his point, listen, make sure that we understand. He is not demeaning the gift of tongues here. 
But what he's saying is when we come together, it's very, man, it would just, the third analogy is, it's like me, when I'm over in Kenya and people are speaking to Swahili, I'm, when they're speaking to Swahili, I want to know what's going on, but I do not know what they're saying. I, I'm, I'm excluded, I'm, I'm left out. And he's like, the same thing is true. This is why I would rather you speak a word of prophecy than 10,000 uh, words of, of, of tongues. For, for the edification, for the building up of the church. And that's why he says in verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And to summarize the rest of the chapter, what, what, he's, what, what he's saying is we're, we're to worship God with both our spirit and our intellect. Like, like what Jesus said to the woman at the well in, in John chapter four, we use our spirit, our mind, and then he, he says, I'll, I'll skip ahead to verse 26. And you're like, oh, you big wimp. You just skip, skipped over verse 14 about forbidden women to speak in church. I already hit that in our Judges series. Uh, you can actually look that up. Uh, we, we actually spent some time on that. So you go back. I don't need to preach another message on that. Uh, we, we already hit that. But, but here in verse 26, he says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Are you seeing a theme here? If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or th most three, each in turn. Let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, here's the thing. You're like, well, you guys, we're to totally doing things wrong. I mean, we're not having a preaching marathon here. We don't have, you, don't, you know, I'm not hitting somebody's hand and they're coming up and giving a word of prophecy next. But you got to understand when he's writing that their church is not meeting as we did. It's not a, as large of a group as we have here. It's interesting in Acts chapter two, the people still came together and worshiped in a large group corporately, but then they would meet together in homes. They would have small groups in which they would worship, take communion, all of these, all of these other things. And so here's what, you, here's what you just need to know. We don't do usually and an open mic in a service because an open mic many times in a large group is flypaper for people that should not be at an open mic. And I'm not trying to be rude or, or whatever. I'm just saying when it, when it comes to a group this size, this would be mass chaos. And, and this is why we emphasize and, and we're, why I believe small groups, home groups, Bible studies are so very important. What we're talking about in uh, this gather and go that's gonna be on September 24th, literally is, is us having groups. And, and this is where, man, we, we share, we learn from one another. The, the, the spirit moves in life groups. The spirit moves in Bible studies. Now, is, does it mean that every time somebody says something in a life group that that's the spirit moving? No, you know there's stupid things I said in life groups too. But can I tell you that the reason why we want to be a big church small 
is because we know in these small groups, that is where God is doing this, this work. We come together to remember that we're all on the winning side. And then we go out and, and we're doing this life together. This is where we, we exercise these gifts. And so that's why he closes with this and I'm all shut up with this. Verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not acknowledge this, he is not recognized. That is like Paul, man, he just puts it straight. But then he says, so then my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, do not forbid speaking in tongues. And a lot of people say, you just can't do that. Uh, hold on a second. It's not, it's not what he says here. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. But he closes, he says this in verse 40, all things should be done decently and in order. So the last thing I would say is this, as we look at this, you're like, man, it's a weird message. I get it, but we're speaking the whole word because I believe the whole word matters. When it comes to spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are to be exercised freely, but not disruptively. And so I would say this as we close, just, it's just a few takeaways. I believe that our services, life groups, Bible studies should be marked more by the, by the presence of God than they currently are. And I'm saying that with my hand raised, God, do this through me. I would challenge us as a, as a group to understand that we should each come to church prepared to give. Now that goes against the prevailing idea of what it means to go to church. I, I hear this from a lot of people. You know, I go to church to get, to get spiritually refilled before I go into my week. There is some truth to that. Yet, when you show up to either a corporate gathering or to a small group or something like that, you have to understand that as a brother or a sister, you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit many times is gonna speak through you when I'm not gonna be speaking. And so, hey, it's beginning to rain. This is amazing. Like it goes perfectly with what I'm saying here. But no, there's, there's, there's something beautiful. Coming prepared to give, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not be more fearful of man than you are of disobeying the Holy Spirit's prompting. Because here's what I can tell you, the Holy Spirit, his voice can be quenched. But what I'm praying begins to happen in Grace Bible Church is that we understand that what builds a church is not attractional methods, not more outreach programs or, or us, you know, winning ap apologetic debates, but that we'd understand that God is still building his church. It's built on Jesus Christ, but it's the Holy Spirit that's building his church, that he's called us to be the church. And so what I'm praying is that we embrace not just the fact that we've been saved, but that we've been given the spirit and that each of us has been gifted and will be gifted in a season in a time. And so what I would say is this, just say yes, and the Holy Spirit moves. And Father, I'm praying that if there's anything that marks the lives of your people, it would, it would just be that, that we would say yes, Lord. We would say yes when you call us to speak. We would say yes when you call us to worship. We would say yes to do what you've called us to do. And God, as your people say yes, I believe you're gonna honor that obedience. And so God, would you continue to do a mighty work here at Grace, not because of, of, a, of a man, not because of, of talent, not because of money, not because of anything else. May you build this church because what you build will last for all eternity. And may we be the church. So God, for what you're gonna do through your church, I'm gonna thank you for this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Go be the church. We'll see you next week.